But uh, thank you guys for being here. Sorry, sorry again that I missed last week. I had an unexpected board meeting, and and by unexpected, I mean it was scheduled on my calendar well in advance, and I just didn't see that I was double booked. So that is my bad. But Bill was happy to fill in with a late notice and. And as my dad always says, Bill's the best teacher in this class. So, so uh, he, he did a good job. It was a good biblical lesson on leadership. And so if for any reason you were not here last week and you want to listen to Bill's lesson, uh, just a reminder, we do podcast these. If you subscribe to the Crossings Audio Teachings podcast channel, you can get this class. You can get Bill's Man Challenge class he does. Some of the other other more smaller class teachings we do here at the church, you can always listen to it after the fact. So today, I want to teach what I was planning on teaching last week, because I really want to get to this, because it, it stood out to me a whole lot. And for you guys who are new to the class, you know, we're doing something a little different this year. Uh, what we're going to try to do is stick on a reading plan all year long. And so we have a very simple reading plan. It's a five days a week, five minutes a day plan that will take you through the entire New Testament in a year. And so um, I will, for anyone who is not already on our email distribution list, let me know. I'll put you on that and I can send you the plan. Uh, But what I'm doing is I'm reading that and just throughout the week as a passage hits me pretty hard, uh, I'm I'm researching it and then we'll, we'll just prepare a lesson on it. So the passage that really hit me hard as I was going through the week of reading was Mark 15. And Mark 15 is, is that famous, famous story where we see these group of religious believers of God ch- chanting, crucify him uh, to an innocent man. And as a child growing up learning that story, it always haunted me that, that just crucify him uh, by this crowd to an innocent, it just, it just, it was crazy to me even think that people could come to, to convict a man like that, to kill a man like that when he had done nothing wrong, especially a group of religious people. It, it, just, it always was unsettling to me to, to hear that story. And so I wanted to look at the dynamics that took place in that story through three different lenses, because and I, and, I think we can actually get a lot out of it. I want to look through the lens of the religious leaders, so the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, uh, let's, whatever you want to say, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, Sanhedrin, just, let's, let's just call them the religious leaders for this class. I want to look through their lens and know what was going on in their brains to, to really go down that road. What was going through the mind of Pilate to allow him to, to go through with this, even though he didn't want to? Uh, and then the last one I want to look at is what's going through the, the, the minds of the crowd, right? What, what happens that this crowd of people who might have been a lot like us, right, would be doing this? And, I, and I, think, I think the reason this hit me as hard as it did was at the time I was reading this, I was also having to explain to my kids something pretty important. I was having to explain to my kids, my nine-year-old twins, I was having to explain to them why in the world people would ambush the U.S. Capitol, right? I was having to just, they, they watched it on the news, and I wanted them to watch it on the news. I wanted them to see it because it was a great teaching opportunity, but they just couldn't understand why people would do what they did. And it's a great question, why people would do what they did. And I'm not talking about the protesters. I'm talking about the people who stormed the Capitol. And so 
For me, as I was explaining to them what was going through the minds of those people and how they brought themselves to do what they did, I actually found a lot of parallels in this story in Mark 15. And so if I had to title this story in Mark 15 anything, I would title it, A Politician Trying to Hold On to Power, Some Deceitful Religious Priest, and an Angry Mob. Right? And so I want you to think about this. This isn't going to be a political lesson today, but... The sin that was occurring 2,000 years ago still happens today, right? And the lessons that we ought to be able to learn from this story from 2,000 years ago, we could have applied to exactly that scenario. We're going to be able to apply it to a lot of stuff we're doing on a daily basis, uh, especially for those of you who've ever held political office. Shave our now. So, so I'm just, 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 just throwing that out there. So, um, so let's get into this. And, and what I wanted to do first is I want to get into the mind uh, of the religious leaders first. We're going we're to hit those guys first. And to get into their mind, I actually want to start back on Mark 11 uh, and, and this interchange that occurs between Jesus and the religious leaders. So if you have your Bibles open, go to Mark 11, and we're going to start on verse 27 through 33. Go 27 through 33. It says, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So here's my question on this. What's the predominant concern of the Jewish leaders, of these, this, the religious leaders, what was their predominant concern when they're trying to determine how they're going to answer Jesus? He answers them a very, he asks them a very straightforward question. What's going through their mind about how they're going to answer him? CYA. CYA, that's a great way to say it. I'm not going to cover your whatever you guys want to fill in the blanks on that. So CYA, uh, and that's a very good point. And so what are they trying to cover other than your whatever? Like, specifically, what are they, what are they trying to guard against? Their power. Yep. These, guys, these, yep, these guys are trying to make sure they don't lose influence. Right? They're trying to make sure they don't lose influence. If they answer it one way, they're going to lose credibility because it says, well, this was from God. And so they've lost their credibility for objecting to the ministry of Christ. If they answer the other way... They're worried because this following is there, and people really like John. They think he's a prophet, so they're going to lose their influence with the people. But I want you to see on this, it's just fascinating to me. Their predominant concern in no way in this was truth. Truth didn't even, it didn't even cross their minds that they should just answer the question truthfully. Their immediate reaction was, how am I going to maintain, our, how are we going to maintain our influence? Uh, they, you know, and... These religious leaders, uh, I just want you to kind of play this out, they're going to be playing a number of games. Like whenever I've always thought about this in the past, I've always thought predominantly they're going to be concerned with maintaining their influence with the Jewish people. And that's true. And that was a huge portion of what they're doing. 
But because of their influence with the Jewish people, who else did they have influence with? The Roman government, right? They had a lot of influence with the Roman government. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more whenever we get to Pilate, but I don't want you to underestimate just how influential these people were with the overarching aspect of the engagement with Judea at the time with the Roman government. Uh, if you go and you look at where Israel is on a map, and you look at how the trade routes occurred back during this time, all roads for some of these major trade routes led through Israel, right? And so these guys had done a very good job over time, of of capitalizing on that. And so you had this group of people and these these Jewish people that were stubborn and worshipped an ancient god and had a very strict code and a lot of transactions occurred through them and if you didn't appease these people it caused a lot of issues for the Roman government, right? So so at the same time, you know, for for the religious leaders, they want to make sure they have all the influence with the people so that they can control the people, but also so that they don't lose credibility with the Roman government. Think about, like, a good example of this today is I want to make sure that I don't say something wrong so I don't lose 10,000 Twitter followers, right? That, that's how this works today. If you, have, if you have 5 million followers on Twitter, you have a lot of influence, Influence for what and for what purpose is another story, but in theory, you have a lot of influence. And then just watch it. You say something that goes against who, someone's moral code in any way, no matter, what, no matter right, wrong, or indifferent, you lose that influence. So you watch just how guarded people are with what they say, how they answer questions, what they do. It's so you don't lose that influence. So I want you to see that this story in Mark chapter 11 really sets the scene for what you're going to see in this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders all throughout. They're always playing the game of whether or not they're going to lose influence or not. Truth does not matter. Okay, So in Mark 14, we're not going to read Mark 14, but pretty much the religious council gets together and they convict Jesus of blasphemy. That's what he's convicted of by the Jewish leaders. Uh, because he pretty much says, I'm the son of God, in, in different words, right? But he talks about he's going to be coming back, you know, uh, sitting next to the Father, coming through the clouds. Like, there's that whole interchange. You know, they're trying to say that Jesus has committed all these sins, and they can't get their witnesses to line up, and they're having all these issues. And Jesus himself speaks, and they like, well, he just said it for himself. He is the son of God. He's claiming to be the Messiah. They, you know, they just, right there, they've got all that they need to convict him of blasphemy. So that's what the Jewish people have against Jesus. But they want something specific. What do the Jewish people want to do to Jesus? What do these religious leaders want to do? They want to get rid of him. How do they want to get rid of him? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. And they can't, right? They can't kill him. So they're going to go to Big Brother to try to get him killed. So they're going to go to the Romans to try to kill Jesus. And so whenever we transition to Mark 15... I'm going to re- let me read verse one. It's or verse one and two, and it says this. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" So Pilate's asking him a question: "Are you the King of the Jews?" Why is Pilate asking Jesus that question? What do you think? Yeah, sorry. What do you think? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> For you guys on Zoom, the answer I got was because he wants to know the answer. That's, so, 
Exactly right. So, so the, the Jewish people, they've charged Jesus with, with blasphemy, which matters to the Jewish people. Does blasphemy matter to the Romans? Absolutely not. They could care less what these Jewish people believe. They think they're crazy anyway, right? So, so they don't care, but they do care if someone is trying to subvert the authority of the emperor of Rome. And so the Jewish people know this, and so they're not charging with Jesus with blasphemy in front of the Romans. They're charging him with subversion, right? They're saying, this guy says he's the king of the Jews. Well, he can't be king because if he's king, he doesn't report to Caesar, right? He does, he's not going to the emperor. And so that's the charge against Jesus. So you just look at the contradiction that's already occurring. So Pilate is asking him, are you actually the king of the Jews? That's the claim that's been brought forward him. He, they're, they're saying he's challenging the Roman government. And so let's look through this now through Pilate's lens. So if, if we see the religious leaders, the religious leaders are looking at this of how do I not lose influence? Truth does not matter. Their view is how do I not lose influence? And we see what happens as a result. Now let's go to Pilate. And I want to make sure you guys know who Pilate is. Pilate would have been the governor of Judea at this time, right? And if you go back and you read the history of Rome, how they organized the, the management of the empire, you know, this was a traditional post. And let me tell you, nobody wanted this job. This was a tough, tough job. Like I said, these people are stubborn. They, they're insurrectionist. They don't like the Romans. The Jewish people have always wanted to throw off the Romans. Nobody wanted this job. And Pilate, to his credit, was actually one of the longest standing governors of Judea. He served for 10 years, from 26 to 36. Uh, one historian noted this about Pilate. And I thought it was a very good explanation of who Pilate was to help you get inside his head. That's all I want us to do. I want us to get inside Pilate's head. He says this about Pilate. He says, he's a typical Roman, not of the antique simple stamp, but of the imperial period. A man not without some remains of the ancient Roman justice in his soul, yet pleasure-loving, imperious, and corrupt. He hated the Jews whom he ruled, and in times of irritation freely shed their blood. They returned his hatred with cordiality and accused him of every crime, maladministration, cruelty, and robbery. He visited Jerusalem as seldom as possible. For indeed, to one accustomed to the pleasures of Rome, with its theaters, baths, and games, Jerusalem, with all of its religiousness and ever-smoldering revolt, was a dreary residence. When he did visit, it says he stayed in the palace of Herod the Great, it being common for the officers sent by Rome to, in, to go into the conquered countries to occupy the palaces of the displaced sovereigns. So you see this dynamic occurring here. Pilate doesn't like the Jewish people. Jewish people don't like Pilate. Jewish people probably haven't liked any governor that Rome has ever sent them. But whenever they don't like Pilate, they make it known that they don't like him. Right? And, and I'm telling you, the Jewish people have influence with Rome. All the money flows through there. They've got influence. So anytime Pilate does something that they don't like, they go and tattle on him. Right? They go and tattle on him. I'll, I'll show you an example of that here in a second. Real quick, though, to wrap up Pilate, he was in 36 AD... The governor of Syria, which would have been just to the east, really, brought northeast, I believe, was brought serious charges of corruption against him, and Pilate was exiled to Gaul, I think modern-day France, where he committed suicide, So, uh, which I didn't know that. Uh, I never knew Pilate committed suicide. That was an interesting deal. So 
Anyway, you just see, this is the game the Romans play. If you, the Roman Empire during this time period is fascinating. There is so much backbiting and, and power competition going on. I mean, most of the emperors past this time period are going to rise and fall based on assassination. I mean, it's a crazy time. So when it talks about Pilate had this call back to ancient Rome where there were values and virtue and, and things were run in a very incredible way, this imperial period, it is nothing but power grab. I mean, that is the history of the imperial period of Rome. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I won't get completely into that. But you, you read, you see, some, you see a number of parallels with America today. So Pilate is in Jerusalem for one reason, right? He, so remember, he doesn't want to be in Jerusalem. He doesn't like the Jewish people. He doesn't like to hang out there. The only reason he is there is because it's the Passover, And during the Passover, all these Jewish people from all over the region will make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, right? It's it's just, it's a normal thing. And so you have lots and lots and lots of very religious, excited Jewish people crammed into Jerusalem during this time frame. What do you think Pilate's worried about? He's worried about insurrection. He's worried about a riot. He's worried that something's going to go wrong. And if you're the governor of Judea, the one thing you want to make sure doesn't happen is you don't want anything to go wrong. You don't want word to get back to the emperor of Rome that you are out of control, that you've allowed these pesky Jewish people, you know, to to cause problems yet again. God help you if they actually have a, a, a major insurrection, right? You just don't want anything to go wrong. So he is there because he has to be, because if something does go wrong, he's got to do all he can to control it. So that is why Pilate uh, is in Jerusalem. Uh, so I can't underestimate, though, how much he didn't like the Jewish people and how much they hated him. He put up in the Antonia Fortress there in Jerusalem, where he would stay when he's in Jerusalem, he put up some, some shields on the fortress of the emperor. Uh, just had the emperor's pictures on them. And for any of you guys who've been to Israel before, what happens to pictures of people's faces around Israel? They get destroyed, right? They're viewed as idols. And the Orthodox Jews to this day will go and they will destroy any, idol, any image they consider to be an idol. So the Jewish people at that time had the same view. And so they call the emperor, complain about him, and the emperor has to tell him to take them down. Pictures of himself. I mean, it's just fascinating stuff. So I just want you to see these dynamics that are occurring here. So overall... Pilate doesn't like the Jews. The Jews don't like him. Pilate doesn't want anything to go wrong. He doesn't want the emperor of Rome to get on to him again. And that's, where we, that's the perspective I want you to have as you read the interchange between Pilate and Jesus. I'm going to jump to John, the book of John, chapter 18, to, to give a little bit more detail in this interchange between Pilate and Jesus, and then we'll go back to Mark. So if you can, John chapter 18, verse 33. I'm going to read a few verses here. It says this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, 
so you are a king. I mean, I can see Pilate being a bit confused about the Christian theology here. So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Then Pilate said to him, and I want you to hear this well. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? And Pilate's being a bit flippant here on this. But for Pilate, in this scenario, does Pilate care what truth is? Right? I mean, he he has absolutely no care what truth is. I mean, he is looking at truth in the face. I mean, he is looking at the embodiment of truth in the face. And it, it creates this hyperbole of what is truth. And, and I, I want you to think about today, a great example of this today. If you guys have ever watched any political debate, take a presidential debate. Actually, don't take the last couple of presidential debates. They've been crazy. Take, take a very traditional political debate that you've seen. And a, and a very straightforward question will be asked by the moderator to, to each politician. And this is not me getting onto the right or the left. This is all of them. Right? Very straightforward question is asked. Do they ever answer the question? No. What's going through their mind whenever they answer the question? How do I not offend this group of people? How do I not offend this group of people? How do I potentially encourage this group of people? That's all they're thinking. Well, how can I take my 49.6% approval rating to 513 to win the election? All they're doing is determining how best to answer the question to have the most possible influence. Or to remember what the lie was before. That's right. And, and here's, the, here's the funniest thing about this. Here's actually the saddest thing about this. So, statistically, it has been proven that we actually respond with more affirmation to our political leaders when they do that. Right? If you were to take a politician who just gives a straightforward answer compared to a politician who will go all around the world to get back and answer a question that wasn't even asked, we like the other guy better. And that's just so sad, and that, that's, that's just a great example of sin coming into all of us, right? I mean, we like the other guy better. We like being lied to for some reason. It's part of us. I'll get into that a little bit more later. But Pilate is coming from the, from the situation right now saying, I don't care about what truth is. I don't care about what you're, if you're a king of the Jews or not. I'm just trying to deal with this issue. I'm in the middle of a tough spot here. I'm trying to deal with this. So let's go down to, let's go back to Mark chapter 15. I mean, get back on, and I'll start on verse 6. Let's see what Pilate does next. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered them up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to him, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd... I'll just read that. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So I want to think about this. Imagine you're Pilate right here in the middle of this. You have two options. 
Option number one is you can release Jesus. Option number two is you can release Barabbas, right? What are the consequences for you if you're Pilate and you release Jesus? Let's talk out loud. What are the consequences? Probably going to have a riot. Yep. Because why? What have the chief priests done to the crowd? Exactly right. So the crowd's been convinced by people they ought to be able to trust. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, that, that, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think the people have been lied to in a number of ways here. And so if he releases Jesus, it's going to go against the, it's going to go against the trajectory that the crowd's been moved to, right? And so there's going to be issues. Most likely, the chief priests are going to talk to Rome, uh, say, hey, your man's not doing what we need him to do. Right? There's going to be consequences for Pilate as a result. I mean, it's just going to go. It's going to be the same story he's had to go through a number of times, and he's going to have issues, and he may have you know, pretty bad insurrection for, at that moment with all the people there, all the energy, all the crowd. I mean, I think about it. It's, if you've ever been in front of an angry crowd before, your biggest fear is what is going to happen to just light this fuse. Right? I mean, that, that is, for any of you guys who've, who've seen that, I mean, I can understand the concern. So then, consequence if he releases Barabbas. And I want you to think about this, about Barabbas. And, and for you guys who've grown up reading the Bible, you probably read that and you say, hey, it's actually pronounced Barabbas, Blake, right? Not Barabbas. However, I learned during the research for this, it's Barabbas. And I'm trying so hard to get myself to say it that way because I've been saying Barabbas for 35 years. So I want you to know who this man is. Right? We learn a little bit about Barabbas. We learn that he committed murder in the insurrection. So, when it says he committed murder in the insurrection, I want you to know, this is a fairly normal thing. The Jewish people don't like the Romans. They've been trying to overthrow the Romans for forever. Right? And, and every good Jewish boy who grows up reading about the Messiah, what are they hoping the Messiah would do one day? Destroy the Romans, overthrow. They want to be their own country. They don't want any political part, part of the Roman Empire. They want to be their own. They want, to, they want the David figure to come and fight the Romans and overthrow them. Right? So you always see these people rising up and causing insurrection. This man rose up and killed a Roman. Right? He killed some sort of Roman soldier or something in the insurrection. He committed a crime against the Roman Empire. Has Jesus committed a crime against the Roman Empire? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And you see Pilate trying to deflect that. But this man committed an actual crime against the Roman Empire. And so I think Pilate is making a calculation that I can let this guy go, even though if the people back in Rome knew I let this guy go who committed a murder against the Roman Empire, they would kill me. Right? I mean, that would be a big deal. But he's saying, if I do what the people want, if I do what they've asked me to do, maybe I can just keep a lid on all of this. Right? So that's what's going through Pilate's mind, and he decides to release Barabbas instead and kill an innocent man. Big thing, what's Pilate concerned about? He's concerned about control, he's concerned about political influence, he's concerned about not causing problems, he is not concerned about truth or what is right in any way, shape, or form. He's allowing the ends to justify the means and, and doing things that are just not Right. The best way to think about this with Pilate is he is looking truth in the face and he says, what is truth? Right. Great thing to way to think about most politicians. So anyway, a great stump speech for me to run for political office with this. Um, so then let's go to the third group. Let's go to the crowd. Right. Let's go to the crowd. So I honestly, I associate more with the crowd in this story than I do anything else. 
right? You got a bunch of people who've come from all over who are there for a great religious festival. This has to be something that everyone's excited about. Uh, they're, they're, you get people in numbers and emotions get high. And, you know, there's a concern with Rome. There's been some sort of insurrection. That's gotten people upset. You know, you've got a lot going on. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's not massive. And so you get a lot of people inside a small city. I mean, it's, it could just been an interesting time. So here's what we know about the crowd. We know they come from the Passover, and we know this about them. They, they're religious, or they wouldn't have come for the Passover. They are religious people. Secondly is this. They allowed themselves to be stirred up by the chief priest. It says the chief priest stirred up the crowd for them to release Barabbas instead. They allowed themselves to be stirred up. And the other thing I really got about the crowd in this story is this. The more the crowd was asked by Pilate for the reasons they're doing these things. So, so the more Pilate says, why are you wanting to kill this man? Why are you wanting to do this? What was the response of the crowd every time he asked the question, why? What was the response? Do you remember? And they yelled even louder, crucify him. And I want you to think about it like an image almost of like a child who you're trying to reason with this petulant child, and instead of them reasoning back with you, they just put their hands over their ears and scream louder what they want. Right? It's almost how I see this crowd acting as a body. Right? They're, they're just sitting there. They're not going to listen to reason. They're not going to listen to logic. They want what they want. They want their man. They want Barabbas. He's one of them. Right? He's a Jewish kid who grew up and he took on the Romans. He's one of ours. We don't care that he broke our law. We don't care that he did these things. He's our guy. We want him. Crucify that other guy. The chief priest told me he's bad. Crucify him. Right? And they get out of control, they get out of hand, and they do, thing that w- they do things that whenever you go and you read in the book of Acts and you see Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes back to these same Jewish people, right, and he's talking to them and he goes, oh, by the way, the author of life was this man named Jesus and you crucified him, right? You crucified him. He's talking to the same people who, who just are, are yelling. He says, you crucified him. But by the way, repent and believe, and he will have grace upon you, right? So I just want you to see, these people did something we wouldn't do. And like, you think about these people who stormed the U.S. Capitol. Most of these people afterwards go, what did I just do? What was I thinking? I got carried away in the moment. They told me it's what they wanted me to do, right? Uh, These other people were doing it. I was lied to, right? All these things, right? The same thing happened here. The crowd broke their own laws, their own religious customs. They did everything wrong because they had allowed themselves to be lied to and led astray, right? These are religious people. The thing that really killed me a lot when I walked to the U.S. Capitol is I'm going, you know what? I've I've watched insurrections occur in other countries. I've watched these things happen in other countries. And when they happen in other places with other cultures, you can kind of say, these are a different people in a different place, in a different world. But I watch it happen at the U.S. Capitol, I'm going, that could be me. That could be you guys. A lot of people walking around carrying crosses in that thing, right? This could be us. And so, so when, I, when I sit here and I think through this lesson, I look through all three of these perspectives. I look through the religious leaders. I look at Pilate. I look at crowd. And the common element in all of them is truth didn't matter. Truth just didn't matter. 
My influence mattered. What I wanted mattered. I'm going to get what I want, but truth just doesn't matter. And as Christians, as Christians, we have to know that that we're going to go down this same path. We're, the, the, our sinful nature is going to take us down this same path. In, in 2 Timothy 4.3, uh, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You, know, you, 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 you see this, and we've been told over and over again that we, we're going to fall into this trap. We're going to hear what we want to hear, we're going to follow who, who's telling us something we want to hear. Like you think about the crowd. The chief priests were telling them what they wanted to hear, right? And they went down that way. As Christians, especially as people like yourselves, as we're building spiritual fathers, no matter what, we have got to be people of truth, no matter the consequences of truth. No matter the consequences. If you lose influence, you lose influence, right? God will still work through that. If you, if you lose credibility with your government, you lose credibility. God will still work through that, right? I mean, you think about Jesus, the most powerful figure in world history, a thousand times fall over, right? At the end of his life, he had mostly, most of his disciples had abandoned him. There wasn't many people at his grave, right? I mean, you think about this. The, the, the way we think about influence in the world is not the way God works, right? No matter what happens, truth must win. So here's my question for you. I want, to talk, I want you guys to... You know, just to extent, uh, we're, we probably don't run out of time, but let's just talk about this as a group. What is it that we do in our lives that we enable lies to come into us? Because if we're saying truth must win, one of the things we have to do is make sure we don't actually absorb lies. Those cr- that crowd allowed themselves to listen to chief priests who were lying to them, right? And they absorbed it. And... We have to know that it's in our nature that we want to be lied to. Remember when I told you about the, the, the two politicians, the one who gives us the truth versus the one who goes all the way around the barn and gets back to a non-answer, and we like the guy who goes all the way around the barn to a non-answer? We like to be lied to. We like it. So what can we be doing in our lives to make sure we don't ever allow lies in? So let me, let me summarize that theme. Is, is pretty much another way to say it is, what are you putting in? What are you putting in? And the Word of God is what you have to put in. Uh, but we allow other things in. Yeah, real quick, and I'll have to wrap up. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, so the the book he's referenced is it called the closing of the of the human mind? I can't remember. Um, was that Bloom? Tyler would know. He's on here. Uh, I think that was Bloom. Um, but it's a great book to read, and it is this this idea that truth is relative. You'll hear this say, "You can make your own truth." So, so. So, but I want you to think about this very practically for us. Let's not leave here in a theoretical, right? Let's leave here in a practical. And I want you guys to all be on guard for where we allow lies into our lives. And because allowing a lie into our life is like playing with sin, right? And you can't play with it. You can't enable it. Sin's a lion. You can't pet the lion. You can pet the lion for a while, but eventually what's the lion going to do? The lion's going to bite your hand off. It's going to devour you, right? Uh, sin is a lion. Right, And so allowing a lie in is like just playing with a lion. Eventually, you're going to become the crowd who says crucify him because you've been lied to and you've been led astray. So the goal is, how do you keep from being lied to? And so I want you guys to all be very careful. When I thought about this, there's two things I thought about in terms of how do I keep from absorbing lies. First thing I thought about was this, was how do I consume news? How do I consume it? 
And Tyler, who's on here, uh, just wrote a really good review. He wrote a review of that book as well, which is good. But he just wrote a good review of a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And, and I'll send out the link to it just so you can read it. But Amusing Ourselves to Death was written in 19, sometime in the 80s. And, um, and it was about how TV had come on and how it was really changing the way we engage and, and, and the detriments it has on our public discourse. And, and the idea that it had was it, it contrasted the power of the written word with TV. And this guy who wrote the book, he wasn't as concerned about just junk TV. He wasn't concerned about junk TV that you watch and consume. What he was concerned about was serious TV and how it was changing. Take the news, for example. Take the news is a great example. If you consume the news in written form, you take a lot of emotion out of it. You take a lot of subjectivity out of it. The person who writes it in written form has to be very specific about what they're saying, what words they're using. They're going to live for infamy in print, right? But if you absorb it in video form, you start to get emotion. You start to get a lot more subjectivity, right? And then think about this. If I'm, if I'm issuing a, an idea, if I'm putting out something in writing, my goal is to promote an idea, However, the way news has changed over the years, especially the last couple decades, what is my goal? If I'm a cable news station right now, what is my goal? Is it to, is it to get across an idea and to get across facts, or what's my actual goal? Yeah, here, I'll, I'll, I'd be even more cynical about this. The goal is to keep you there longer, right, is to keep you there longer. If I am any news channel, my goal is to continue to entertain you well enough to where you will continue to watch because the more you watch, the more commercial ad space I can sell, right? And I hate to say it that way, but you watch the news and you will find there's that element of the, there's the hook, there's the teaser, all this to keep you as long as you can possibly do it. So the news has moved from a serious fact-based publication to an entertainment mechanism that acts like a serious fact-based publication in order to keep you there longer. And so for me, I've taken a very practical approach at this. I don't allow myself to watch hardly any news. Almost everything I consume is fact-based text, right? I can get the same information I need from, from, from journalists I trust to give me fact-based text, and I don't watch it. And I did, a, I did an experiment on this to prove my point. The other day, I turned on CNN for 10 minutes, and I watched the news, and then I immediately turned on Fox News for 10 minutes to watch the news because I knew they'd be covering the same topic. So for 10 minutes, I watched CNN, and I go, wow, well, that was entertaining. Then, then 10 minutes, I watched Fox News, and I go, wow, the same thing they were talking about, and it's as if I live in two different worlds, two radically different worlds. Now, here's the question. Which one's telling the truth? The answer is Neither. The answer is neither. They will, both of them, both of them will start with a kernel of truth. They'll both start with a kernel of truth and you build upon it, right? And so I want you to know is if the, if the objective is to keep you longer, you will have to be entertained. Your emotions are going to have to rise. You're going to have all these things that you don't actually need. Right. And I want you to look at the way the crowd was incited, the way these things tend to happen. People that you're supposed to be able to trust lie and put things in that you're not meaning. So I want you to be very careful. And the second thing I got to was gossip. All right. So if you had two application points, it would be, be be very intentional with how you allow yourself to consume the news. 
Second is be very intentional with how you allow yourself to pass along information that you know not to be, that you don't know if it's true or not. And I, I've laughed. I, I once had to come out to a group here at the church and convince them that Marty was not dying from cancer. Right, so, and, and here's, here's how it happened. Marty was off. He didn't preach for three weeks in a row. He didn't preach three weeks in a row. And he was taking a normal break that he takes every July, right? It happens every year. He takes a few weeks off. God bless him, he needs a few weeks off, right? And, and someone had said, you know, Marty hadn't been here in a couple of weeks. I didn't hear anything. And then it goes, you know what? He didn't look good that last week. And then, and then someone says, well, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I heard, I heard something's going on. Something's going on. Some, something's going on. Then, then the next one says, you know, I, I think he has cancer. And then by the time it got to me, there was this insurrection blowing to where not only did we think Marty had cancer, people had started determining what church they're going to go to once he dies, right? I mean, and so it was, it was one of these things like I had to literally come out and say, he's okay, right? And so I just want you to be careful because, because it tickles our ears. It tickles our ears. We want to hear it. We want to have that passion. We want to be in the know. We want to do all these things just like the crowd, right? Sensationalism. We all fall prey to it. When you hear something, is it true or not? What is truth, right? If I'm going to pass it on, if it's going to come from me, Blake Brasson, the Christian, I've got to know it's true. I've got to know it's true. And that may cause you to have to dig deeper, look harder, be careful what you share, be careful what you do, because you are men of truth, Right? And that has to take priority. Make sense? All right, let me pray for us. We get out of here. Father, thank you so much for these guys. Thank you for the lesson that we get. Jeez, everything we learn, it applies so much more today even than we could imagine. And we just thank you. We thank you that we're men in this world, but we are not of this world. Allow us to act like men who are not of this world. You are our Savior. You are our leader. And you know what? When we screw up, just like those men who were there when they crucified you, You said, repent and believe, and you had mercy upon them. And all of us need your mercy and your grace, and we love you for it, and we thank you. May you watch over us. Let us go out into this world and be great examples of what it looks like to follow Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.